Hi and welcome to Think Healthy with Hayley. This is a podcast for women who are interested in health, fitness, weight loss and mindset. So if you want to feel more in control, enjoy food, stop dieting and just feel happier and healthier and getting to where you want to be, then this is the podcast for you. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into the episode. So this episode is all about protecting your bones and reducing risk of osteoporosis. And this was inspired partly by a couple of recent podcasts that I've listened to myself talking about bone health and some of the latest research. And this was doing doing some research myself for a client and just going back over my own notes on studies I've done around nutrition and bone density. And basically, I'll talk a little bit about these two podcasts that I listen to, and I'll link to those in the show notes if you want to check them out yourself as well. And then we'll cover some more overall useful information to know about how to protect bone density. And firstly, those two podcasts, one of them was by Chris Cresser, Revolution Health Radio. And his podcast is brilliant to listen to anyway. He covers a range of topics around nutrition and the latest research and he's very evidence-based and just a great person if you want to go and listen to the latest research on various nutrition topics I would check out his podcast and he had an episode not too long ago about osteoporosis and in particular about calcium and how calcium supplements are often recommended to protect our bones and actually from a lot of the research that he's looked at they are not particularly beneficial both for for bone protection and also for heart health and he essentially said that calcium supplements that put us above the recommended daily amount of calcium don't offer any benefit to bones and may actually increase the risk of a heart attack as well whereas getting enough calcium from food alone doesn't have that effect like if you get calcium from food that seems to be very beneficial. If we get calcium from supplements and it takes us over what our body actually needs, then potentially that's not that helpful. And there can be, I think he said, if there's, if you have over a thousand milligrams of calcium supplementation, then there's a 20% increased risk of death in the studies that he's looked at. So essentially what he was saying is that it's really important to get calcium from food as much as we can and other nutrients as well alongside that, which we'll go into a little bit more. And the other podcast I listened to was from the Bone Up podcast, and it's all about bone health. And this particular episode was talking about looking at a study that increased dairy consumption in old adults in care homes. And they actually found that by increasing consumption of dairy over two years, the people who had that increase in dairy had 33% fewer bone fractures, 46% fewer hip fractures, and 11% fewer falls overall, which is quite incredible. So I'll go into that in a little bit more detail later in this episode, and you can find the links to both those episodes in the show notes. But with this, so Chris Cresser's podcast was saying that calcium supplements potentially not that helpful or at least it's very important to get calcium from our foods primarily. So question then becomes, where do we find calcium in food? We tend to know dairy is a really good source of calcium and 
the the science the research points towards yes dairy is one of the most bioavailable forms of calcium we can get which means our body can access and kind of use and process the dairy that is there whereas other foods that can be recommended as high in dairy are sometimes not as bioavailable for our body to access so for example spinach and dark leafy greens are often recommended as a really good plant-based source of calcium but because they're kind of wrapped up in oxalates and plant compounds that the plants use to kind of protect themselves it means that our body can't break down and access those barriers and get to the calcium anywhere near as well as it can from dairy so plant-based foods spinach and dark leafy greens are obviously great in terms of nutrition but the amount of calcium you can actually extract from them is quite low. So we want to look for calcium in other foods as well. Dairy is, is one of the best. Milk in particular, I think is the most bioavailable form of calcium. Yogurt and cheese are also very, very good. And then you can also find really good levels of calcium in canned fish with the bones in. So sardines and salmon in particular will have you can get the canned fish that has the bone still. Sometimes that's not that pleasant to eat. Some people are fine with it, but in that bone is fantastic calcium for your body. One way that people sometimes find helpful to eat that is having it spread on something like a rivita or a cracker, where then you've got like that crunch from the cracker that can kind of mask the crunch of the bones and make it a little bit more enjoyable to eat, potentially. You could have a bit of Philadelphia or something on there too you could make it a nice snack that way or a lunch or you could have it mixed in with other stuff obviously but canned fish with the bones in is one of the best sources of not only calcium but you've then got really good quality omega-3 healthy fats in there and you've got some good protein in there too other really good sources of calcium cruciferous veg are still good and that's things like broccoli sprouts and kale and then seeds uh, also good various seeds can be good sources of calcium and then we've got soy milk as well if we're thinking non uh, non-animal products then soy milk is a good alternative to cow's milk and then other key nutrients that we need so vitamin d you may have heard is one of the most important nutrients for bone health as well and vitamin d we get from exposure to the sun if you are able to get exposure to the sun and have it on your skin without sunscreen for 10-15 minutes enough so that you get the absorption of that sun but you don't obviously start to get burnt then that regular exposure to the sun is incredibly beneficial we tend to need to supplement though in particularly in the winter months and sometimes all year round if you're spending a lot of time indoors or covered up or you just don't see much sun where you are then supplementation is often really helpful ideally be best to get your levels of vitamin d tested via a blood test and then you know where you're at and then you can supplement accordingly because you might need a higher dose supplement you might be okay and not need that much just need a kind of a top up level when we're thinking in the uk at least in the winter months we would say from october through until march is a really important time to supplement and for a lot of people, particularly women, maybe going through menopause and beyond that, where we tend to, to start to lose bone density and maybe not be able to absorb nutrients quite as well, then supplementing vitamin D all year round is often a really good idea. If we're looking at what is a good level to supplement, a, a general 
dosage could be 1,000 to 2,000 IU. The recommendations, at least in the UK, are lower than that. They're at 400 IU. Um, but when we're thinking going into, into menopause, that sometimes recommendations can vary, but sometimes it's increased to 800 IU. But for a lot of women who are sometimes low in vitamin D already, particularly if you know you're at risk of osteopenia, like the, the precursor to osteoporosis, then a higher dose of vitamin D is often really helpful. So if you're unsure of your levels, 1,000 to 2,000 IU is a safe range to be in, and it's more than the RDA, but the RDA, recommended daily amount, is seen by a lot of professionals to be on the low side of what we could actually benefit from. So that would be where I would go potentially. Obviously, get your levels tested if you can, but it is a good thing to supplement, particularly in the winter months and if you don't get much natural sun exposure. Another key nutrient is vitamin K, and this can be supplemented, but it's another one that's best to get from foods if possible. Research tends to show supplementation can be helpful, but food is better. It's found in dairy. It's also found in natto, which I had to look up what that was. It's fermented soybeans, and you can get a few different products that are from fermented soybeans, like tofu and tempeh as well. But natto in particular is fermented with a type of bacteria that makes it more beneficial and higher in vitamin K. You can also find it in sauerkraut and liver and other organ meats. Beef, pork, egg yolks and chicken are all really good sources of vitamin K as well. And if you don't eat meat, if you're vegetarian or vegan, then it may be worth supplementing with that. You can get it from natto if you're happy to eat natto, sauerkraut and egg yolk if vegetarian, not vegan. Another key nutrient is magnesium, and that's found in a lot of green vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, whole grains, wheat, and oat bran. It's a really good nutrient to get from food again, if possible. So just if you have a general, very nutritious diet, you've got plenty of plant-based foods, vegetables, nuts, and seeds, plus a few whole grains and that kind of thing, you're likely to get a decent amount of magnesium but it can be another one that's beneficial to supplement. And particularly when going into kind of menopause, perimenopause, sometimes it's helpful to have, and it can help with things like improving quality of sleep, potentially help with muscle aches or restless legs, migraines. There's sketchy research on these things. Like sometimes it seems to be helpful. For some women, it's, it's still not helpful, but it can be worth supplementing because it's, it's a, a nutrient that we do need. And... In terms of supplementation, it's a bit varied again. 200 milligrams could be a good amount for a lot of people. And that means getting some from food as well, but topping up with a 200 milligram supplement and see if that has a, a beneficial effect. And there are lots of different types of magnesium. So when looking at a supplement, it's helpful to look for magnesium glycinate or citrate and avoid magnesium oxide. So oxide is quite a common form of magnesium because it's it's cheap so it's often included in multivitamins and sometimes just on its on its own but it's poorly absorbed in the body and nowhere near as helpful as glycinate or citrate so avoid oxide look for those other options instead but try and get it from food as much as you can as well and then another nutrient that is recommended by chris Cresser is silica and that is found in bananas, leafy greens, 
brown rice, lentils, green beans and oat bran. Sometimes it can be beneficial to supplement, he suggests. That I would listen to his podcast if you're interested. He mentions it only briefly. It's not something I was that aware of. So I would look to it and look to find it in those food sources and check out his his podcast and his article that he links to in his podcast if you wanted to know more about that one. But what we're kind of finding from all these nutrients that I've listed so far is a varied whole foods diet is going to cover your your bases on most of these nutrients. Potentially supplementation can help, but we do seem to find the body is just much happier absorbing these nutrients from foods because of all the other nutrients they come with and because that's how we've we've been designed to extract these nutrients when they're in a whole food source rather than when they're isolated and put into a, a capsule or a tablet. We're not used to absorbing it that way. We're used to taking it in with everything else that comes in that food. So food is the best solution, having a very balanced whole foods diet. And I'll come to that a little bit more in terms of breaking that down into what that looks like. There's two more nutrients to quickly mention. Another Chris Cresser recommendation is collagen. So this is something a lot of people supplement to support their hair, their nails, the skin. And with this, it does need more research. Like it seems to be beneficial, but maybe not as beneficial as some marketing claims are made out to be. But it, it needs more more research to be sure on that. Potentially it can be helpful and a lot of women have found they they see benefits. But in terms of bone health, it can be, could be beneficial for that too. And in foods, it's found in a, a few select foods, including sardines, organ meats and bone broth. So it could be worth looking at a supplement for that. It could be worth just including bone broth if you're happy to have that, sardines and organ meats as well. And then... The other nutrients are B vitamins, and in particular B12. So that is found in meat, fish, milk, cheese, eggs, and fortified cereals. So if you are eating just plant-based, then fortified cereals would be one to look for. And other plant food sources of B12, there are some, they're just less bioavailable again for the body. So if you eat meat, fish, dairy, that is a really good source of B12. If you don't, then whole grains, legumes, seeds, nuts, leafy green vegetables, bananas, avocados, potato, sweet potato and broccoli all have B12. It's just not as bioavailable. So if you are vegan, it's likely you need to supplement with B12. And these nutrients mostly can come from a whole foods diet, as I was saying, variety of plant-based foods, dairy, organ meats, fish, meat, fermented foods and bone broth are all highly recommended. Fermented foods is an interesting one that isn't often well known that it can help with bone bone density as well as gut health it's recommended for particularly. So fermented foods include sauerkraut, kimchi, yogurt, kefir, sourdough, cheese, miso and kombucha. They are all fantastic for gut health and potentially really beneficial for bone health as well. And then just to touch back on dairy and that episode of the Bone Up podcast that talks about the study in older adults in care homes. So just to remind you, that resulted in 33% fewer bone fractures, 46% fewer hip fractures and 11% fewer falls in older adults who had for two years 
an increase in dairy in their, their food intake. And in that study, the dairy came from yogurt, cheese and milk, and it increased their calcium consumption to around 1,100 milligrams daily, which is around the recommended daily amount. So before that study began, the participants were having less calcium than that from natural foods, and their protein intake was quite low as well. By increasing the dairy, their calcium intake went up and naturally as a result as well, their protein intake went up because there's protein in yogurt, cheese and milk. And it's thought that that may have helped with maintaining muscle and the reducing the risk of falls and, and fractures. Calcium increasing makes sense that it would kind of reduce risk of fractures. We know calcium is important for bones, but it's interesting that their falls actually reduced as well. And that could be where having the nutrients from those foods including protein maybe just help with keeping hold of muscle helping them then kind of keep their balance in a better in a better place and reduce their risk of falls and therefore reduce the risk of fractures again so we know that calcium and vitamin d and protein are all so so important so dairy is a great source of those things and that was a very interesting study and i will link that for you to check out in the show notes if you want to go and listen to that episode as well and then, so that covers nutrition. And we also want to think about what else is important for bone health. And you've probably heard exercise, particularly weight-bearing exercise, is really important too. And in particular, resistance training or strength training, where your body is having to move against either gravity through doing bodyweight exercises, but preferably using weights to move that weight in, in various ways, various different muscles, because when those muscles are having to work and lift those weights, they're pulling on the bone and the bone is therefore having to remodel and get stronger. So big exercises like squats, press-ups, bench press, pulling movements like rows with dumbbells or barbells or machine rows, pull-downs, overhead press, all of these things are brilliant to do for strengthening bones as well as muscles. And there are so many benefits to our long-term health from doing those things. It's also important to work on flexibility and skills like being more agile and improving balance as well. Because all of these things will reduce the risk of falls in later life. If you're more flexible, because you're doing things like yoga and you're stretching regularly, then you're more likely to be able to kind of react in different situations. You're less likely to, to be injured as well, which then if you have an injury, you have to reduce your activity levels, then you lose muscle, then you lose bone. So working on flexibility, really taking great care of your body just through stretching, through yoga, is a fantastic thing that has that knock-on impact on bone health as well. Working on agility through potentially just doing kind of skills-based tasks in the gym. Like this is something I have, I want to do more on my Instagram page about this, but agility could be sort of throwing and catching exercises. It could be like ladder drills. You can do these kind of things in some boot camp classes or certain classes in like a functional fitness gym-based environment you can do things like uh, a boxing class where you've got to sometimes work on coordination like hand-eye coordination punching the pads you've also got impact going through the wrists when you do that which is brilliant and they can sometimes work on your agility by getting you to move like keep your feet moving quickly which is often something that we lose as we get older then you've got balance training to obviously help with reducing your chances of falling and fracturing a bone so those are skills that are often kind of not really considered but 
agility, balance, and then just flexibility can all make a, a massively beneficial impact on bone health as well. But the big, big rock of that is resistance training, getting those muscles, pulling on bones. We need the muscles to be stronger anyway. And there's so many benefits to that in itself. And then because that muscle pulls on bone, it strengthens the bone as well. And then aside from resistance training, there is like impact exercise where you just have impact going through the bones, which could be things like hiking, running, jogging, dancing, skipping, anything where your foot's kind of leaving the floor and having to then, you're absorbing impact by landing back on the floor. Stair climbing can be another good one. And again, boxing could be a great exercise. If you enjoy any kind of boxing class, it's a fantastic thing to do for getting impact going through your wrist. So if you're taught how to punch well, you've got impacts through the hands, the wrist, the arm, into the shoulder. And that's brilliant for keeping the bone strong. And if you do fall at some point, you're much more likely to land safely and not break your wrist if you've been doing that kind of exercise as well. So those are all brilliant things to do in terms of activity. There is a lot of info and ideas on my Instagram page and website as well. So the links in the show notes will take you to those places. And I've got a recent blog all about nutrition and exercise for bone health. So be sure to check that out. You've got infographics and visuals on that page as well as information. And then it's important to mention sleep and stress because they do play a huge role as with so many things in life. And prioritizing getting enough sleep and managing stress is so key. And it's something that is talked about a lot. And obviously it's it's difficult to do sometimes in modern day-to-day life. But it's, it's well worth going back to at any point you recognise my sleep isn't great at the moment or I'm pr- feeling pretty stressed. Keeping asking, like, what can I do about that? What are some key habits that I could maybe go back to? You might have tried these things before sometimes and then for whatever reason, like they've, they've tailed off or they didn't work at the time. But there's so much research behind the things that I'll go over in just a second for sleep and stress that mean that they're so beneficial to keep testing. At some point you may find it's more helpful. At some point you may realize this thing's dropped off. Like maybe I could just work on this key habit and let's see if that helps with my sleep and with my stress. And the more you can do these evidence-based tools and ideas, the more likely they are to have that positive impact that's gonna make a massive difference for not only bone health, but everything else to do with long-term health. So when it comes to sleep, Getting to bed with enough time to get eight hours sleep is quite obvious, but really easy to not do when you can end up just staying up late. If you've had a busy day, you wanna chill out and watch Netflix, or you end up scrolling on your phone for a while, it's very easy for that time to just suddenly have been lost, and before you know it, there's not enough time to get eight hours sleep. So keeping to a routine, getting to bed early enough is key. Preferably getting to bed at the same sort of time and getting up at the same sort of time through the week and weekend so your body can settle into that rhythm and then it's much more likely to be able to drift off when you need to and to wake up feeling refreshed the next day. If you tend to struggle with sleep because there's a lot on your mind, then doing a brain dump and just writing down any thoughts, any to do things you've got on your head, in your mind, in your head, and any other thoughts that crop up, just putting them on a notepad before you go to bed can be really helpful to extract your thoughts and put them onto paper. So then your brain's reassured, kind of knowing they're okay, like they're written down, we're not gonna forget them because we'll wake up and see that tomorrow. We can't do anything about these things now, so I know they're outsourced, I'm not gonna forget it, so we can kind of just switch off until the morning. 
making sure as well that you are not using screens in the half hour before bed and if you do have to use screens in in the hour before bed turning on the the night mode on your phone or the blue light filter will make a big difference as well to just keep melatonin levels much lower if you have the artificial light coming in your body thinks it's still daytime and it can be suppressing the melatonin that we need to actually drift off to sleep making sure your bedroom is cool and dark as well having the window open if you can um, having an eye mask if there's any light coming in having earplugs if there is noise all these things have been trying to make a big difference and sometimes if you if you wake up in the night and you're not too sure why sometimes increasing your protein and carbohydrates in your evening meal can be really helpful so protein and carbs together mean that your body gets the nutrients it needs to release tryptophan or to get tryptophan and release and create serotonin and melatonin and all these hormones that just help our body relax and drift off to sleep so protein and carbs is a great combination along with some veg at dinner preferably and sometimes particularly with women i find they can cut carbohydrates from their meal because they want to lose weight sometimes if you eat carbs the next day you might weigh a little bit more and that's because you're just storing carbs along with water carbohydrates are naturally stored with some water so it means the scales might weigh a little bit more and sometimes that can make it tempting to have less carbs in the evening because you feel lighter and appear lighter on the scales the next day but actually if you have carbs in that meal as long as your calories over the whole day are within the levels they need to be for either maintenance or weight loss you're not going to gain body fat from having carbohydrates but you might actually gain a better night's sleep so it's worth testing having carbohydrates in that meal and preferably more natural carbohydrates like potato sweet potato rice um whole grains potentially whole wholemeal pasta beans lentils chickpeas those kind of things we're looking at um along with a good quality source of protein which meat fish are two of the best but it could be other sources as well it could be dairy could be plant-based etc and then when it comes to stress key evidence-based stress reduction tools include mindfulness techniques such as meditation yoga walking in nature practicing being present when you walk in nature as well like looking around for what you can see what you can hear what you can smell being just really present brings your nervous system down and helps you to to calm things down during the day which can have a knock-on impact with your sleep at night as well and just reducing stress at any point in the day is going to be helpful for reducing like the negative impact it can have on bone health plus health in general journaling is also very evidence-based source of stress reduction talking to a friend of course reaching out for support when you need it and using exercise as a stress buster obviously you get a double whammy benefit from that of it's going to improve your bone health if you are doing different types of exercise sometimes people find when they get into strength training they really find that helpful for stress relief by lifting weights getting stronger it's incredibly empowering and it's something i've seen a lot of women really surprise themselves with in terms of they've never really lifted weights before didn't think they'd like it but actually once they started they found it felt really really good it feels fantastic to be gaining strength and to be able to focus on something that you can you can improve at through improving your technique and you can then add weights if you're new to it as well you often find that you will make really good gains in, in terms of what you can lift in the first few months of strength training because your body is kind of learning the technique so you're gaining partly through becoming better at that skill 
as your brain and body learn what to do. And then you're also you're able to recruit more muscle fibers as you get better at it. So then you become much more able to lift weights and increase that strength. And that can feel fantastic. And then by the point this kind of starts to, the progress starts to sort of slow down, it's become a habit for a lot of people and they just want to keep going because it makes them feel fantastic. So that can be a great stress buster, but so can any other exercise, like whether it's intense exercise and you can just release those stress hormones that way, or whether it's more mindful, calming exercise by walking outside, doing yoga and that kind of thing. But exercise for stress relief is, of course, amazing to do. And that sums up this episode. I hope that is helpful. To sum things up and just list what we've gone through, the best thing you can do for your bone health is, firstly, to have a, a whole foods diet. Not aiming for perfection, like sugar and processed foods are absolutely fine in moderation, but we're looking for mostly natural whole foods particularly foods that contain calcium to support bones and that is going to be dairy particularly if you're happy eating dairy it's also your cruciferous vegetables like broccoli sprouts kale canned fish with the bones in soy milk seeds and then spinach and dark leafy greens have a small amount but preferably get it from those other sources and then it's looking at variety different nutrients various things nuts seeds whole grains beans lentils chickpeas different fruits different vegetables variety is key and if you have variety you have those foods you have some organ meats if you're happy eating organ meats you have some fermented foods you're very likely covering all the nutrients that you need from food you can supplement to get those extra nutrients like vitamin k magnesium if you think you might be low in them and vitamin d is worth supplementing And then exercise-wise, strength training and impact exercise are key. And sleep and stress management are also key. Those things I will do podcasts on to dive in a little bit more, but there are plenty of podcast episodes about various types of stress management as well, if you scroll back through these episodes, as well as other episodes about various types of nutrition and exercise that can also be really helpful. And in the links in this in the show notes for this podcast, there is the link to the blog post that I've done on my website that really covers this in an easy to scroll through format. And there are other links in there too to those previous podcasts that I mentioned, plus my Instagram page where you can see infographics and videos that can also help as well. So I hope that's helpful. If you have any questions or any feedback for me, please feel free to get in touch. My email is hayley at hayleyplumber.co.uk or come find me on Facebook or Instagram via the links in the show notes. And if you haven't yet, if you could rate and review this podcast, it would be hugely appreciated. Or share it with someone you know, just to help spread the information that is in here. I hope it is beneficial. Thank you again for listening and speak to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, if I can help you in any way, please feel free to get in contact with me via my website, hayleyplumber.co.uk or come find me on Facebook or Instagram and I would love to connect with you. I hope you have an amazing day and I'll speak to you soon.